I'm joined in the studio today with a sophomore member of the Rhode Island football team. He is a Rhode Island native from Providence, Rhode Island. It is Fred Millay. Fred, how you doing? Uh, pleasure for having me, man. Great to be here. Uh, love what you're doing, Mark. Uh, let's get into it. All right. So, Fred, as a Rhode Island native, the first thing I kind of want to talk about with you is your time in high school. Because obviously in high school, you doubled not only as a DB, which you play here, but you're also a pretty explosive running back for Mount Pleasant. So I'm kind of curious, how did all that sort of come about when you were in high school? Like, were, were there coaches that were kind of like, all right, this kid looks like he could be a pretty good running back as well as a DB? Uh, so for my high school, we never really had a lot of numbers uh, on our team. So a lot of the guys, uh, a lot of the good athletes on our team, we had to double up and play uh two positions on the field and uh they tried me out at running back and I broke a few runs scored a few touchdowns and it kind of just stuck since my sophomore year and so then your senior year I read that you led the led your conference or I believe might have led the state in interceptions and touchdowns it's a pretty pretty impressive feat kind of how was how did your senior year sort of unfold as you were doing that because obviously you guys were probably pretty successful as you were kind of leading the offense and the defense uh yeah it was uh it was it was kind of nerve-wracking and surreal for me because I was just going out there trying to put a hundred percent on the field for my guys and trying to get a, a win every time we stepped out on the field but uh when they had told me I had the most rushing yards in a single game in the country. I was I was shocked, and they told me I was leading the state towards around playoff times. I was I was shocked because it wasn't even something I was trying to do. I was just trying to be the best I could be for the guys on my team, you know. And so then, obviously, Bishop Hendrickson is the name that really jumps out at a lot of people uh, that are native to Rhode Island or from the surrounding area as a top athletic school, particularly football. Obviously, Cootie Payne went there. He plays for the Indianapolis Colts now. So when you were playing in high school, did you ever have like a lot of uh, games against Bishop Hendrickson? Did you play them in like state playoffs, something like that? What was the conference setup sort of like? Um, so Hendrickson was Division One, and uh, the school I went to, Mount Pleasant, we was Division Two. <laughs> but uh, we, my senior year, we did scrimmage Hendrickson. Uh, got a got a nice class, got a good battle. Uh, some guys on that team was like Angel Sanchez, um, uh, Tom Camella. Uh, these are guys who still play college football right now. So, and I stay in touch with them just to see how they do. But uh, Bishop Hendrickson was definitely a, a good matchup for us every time we played them. We seen them in seven on seven tournaments, uh, some like college tournaments where we just got after and threw the ball around. So. Yeah, they're, they're always a good program to go match up against. Oh, absolutely. So was football kind of your main focus in high school? Did you ever like, dabble in any other sports? A lot of guys usually do that, maybe a spring sport or something like that. Yeah, uh, I was also a, a track star in high school. Um, me, uh, my senior year, we had won the 4 by 200 meter uh, race. Uh, Tylon Brooks, Aiden Rosario, um, and Abraham Tomba, who's actually a track athlete here now uh he runs sprints at the university of rhode island um so yeah i was i was big on track just trying to stay fast and stay fit because i knew summer uh went right into fall for football season so that helped me stay right and stay consistent in my athletic training when it came to um trying to pursue an athletic career in college were you always it was solely football or did you ever get any kind of looks for track or uh 
So the head coach here, uh, Coach Bartzell, um, when he was recruiting, because um, uh, my teammate on the track and on the field, Abraham Tamba, he was being heavily recruited here for track. And when he had came to speak to Abraham, I was also spoken to uh, about potentially pursuing a career here in track. Uh, it's still, it's still, it still is on my mind to think about, uh, you know, playing football and track at this level. Um, definitely something I would definitely look forward to doing. But um, I can't say I'm, I'm too solely on doing both. But uh, I still got a lot of time here, and the future could hold a two-sport athlete. <laughs> oh, that would be that'd be very interesting to see. I mean, because the men's track team here, I know both men's and women's are exceptionally competitive. They're both top uh, programs in Atlantic 10. Yeah, powerhouse, exactly. So now kind of going back into football, what was your sort of recruiting process a little bit like? Because obviously you're from Providence. There are not that many uh, big powerhouse football programs in the Northeast. I mean, when you talk like big ones, you're really talking like Boston College. That's like the biggest names. It's an ACC school, but a lot of FCS schools around here. So kind of what was that sort of process like for you? Uh, so in high school, I was always, uh, in terms of the typical athlete, uh, having everything you can't coach. I was fast. I was strong. But in terms of like size, I wasn't FBS level, you know, and I was I was told by a lot of coaches like um, through my recruiting process, I had a lot of FCS schools in the Northeast that uh, favored my talents. Uh, the biggest school that was looking into me uh, out of high school was West Virginia, Howard University, um, Syracuse. But uh, these these schools were always questionable, like, can he compete at that level with this size, you know? And that was something that I didn't really, I didn't really fancy. No matter how like big the school was, uh, I just wanted to go somewhere that believed in me. And luckily, uh, the head coach here, Jim Fleming, when he had came to visit me uh, that first meeting, I knew he uh, he believed in me. Uh, he had a plan for me, and believed I could come here and do great things. So that was my biggest thing when it went into recruiting. It didn't matter who the school was or what the prestigious uh caliber of the school i was just solely on what what do you think i can do at that school so that was that was big for me in recruiting and that's uh one of the main reasons i'm here today were you ever a fan of rhode island football growing up because i know like while we were in high school they weren't really a, that big of a powerhouse per se they were yeah. uh, program was kind of down in the dumps, I guess you could say, compared to where it is now. Were you ever sort of paying attention to Rhode Island football? Or were your eyes kind of elsewhere to other FCS programs or FBS programs, rather? Uh, honestly, I was all over the place, but definitely having URI in my backyard. Uh, I came to a few games in high school. Uh, I watched the teams, and this that kind of is what drew me more towards this program, just knowing that uh, it, was, it wasn't the best it, it could have been and knowing it could be a lot better with the right pieces, uh, coaching and players included, because I kind of felt a sense of my high school career because Mount Pleasant, uh, before I had attended there, they hadn't won a Super Bowl. They hadn't been to a Division Two Super Bowl in about 50 years. So that that's something I found out when we had went our senior year. And that's something I look back even to this day and feel like a sense of pride in knowing that I went there and I made an impact on that school. So that's what I'm trying to do here.
Do you ever go back there to kind of talk to some of the, uh, the former coaches, talk to some former players, give them some insight as someone who has been in their shoes and is now um, playing at the college level? Definitely. You know, uh, I speak to guys all the time, like Coach Jay Addison, Coach Peter Quayway, Coach Paul Rail, um, all those guys. Uh, I try to just be, be the guy that uh, the kids on that team now can look up to and be like, he did it, so there's no reason I can't or just see me as a sense of hope. Like, uh, if he can make it from Providence Public Schools on a scholarship, uh, why can't I, you know? Like, uh, guys like David Rodriguez, Israel Geraldo, uh, those are my young guys who are really starting to believe in that mindset that if you're from Rhode Island, you can make it on that level, no matter how overlooked we may seem or just know if you put in that work and compete when it's time to compete sky's the limit for you that's fantastic it's good to have at least to be a role model for them to try and get the uh sort of funnel of guys coming out of mount pleasant to kind of start going into college give them a little bit more looks and to have someone like there to kind of show them the way is uh pretty inspiring so you're sort of shifting gears now to your current time here at rhode island you were a member of the covid year team you came in during the covid year so now that add, adds an extra year of eligibility, so you're technically a sophomore in standing in terms of football. Um, your first two years here, they've been the more successful years for Rhode Island. I mean, this past year, you guys, I believe, finished 7-5 and five or 7-6 and six the year before. It was another 7-win season. Um, and compared to years prior where Rhode Island would string together maybe two or three wins over like a four-year span, it's been a big turnaround for Jim Fleming and all of his coaching staff. Um, so kind of walk me through your freshman year. You're obviously keep the COVID year out of it because I was pretty pretty short. No, <laughs> that that not sure. not that much was really uh, done there. But it's your freshman year. It's your full first season at Rhode Island. Kind of what was sort of going through your head? You're the new kid on the block, and you're trying to kind of establish yourself in that defensive backfield. So kind of what was how were you feeling during that first year? Uh, so when I came in. Uh we had just got a new defensive coordinator and a new defensive back coach, uh, Jack Cooper. So I came in, he came in with me, and the defensive backs that were already here prior uh, were very thin. So we had a big recruiting class, that 2020 class that came in, like guys like uh, that are still on the team now, like Wesley Neal, uh, me, Makai Bethel, uh, a lot of guys on that defense who had came in uh, just hungry and ready to work knowing that the prior years to this football program weren't really the best. So we was coming at, coming in ready to make an impact and make a, make a stride to be one of the top teams in the conference. So just everybody with the, with the whole, like, it was a clean slate. So we just came in hardworking, ready to work, ready to be an impact. And luckily that's a transition to the field and in our play. And we started to, you know, trust each other more, build bonds, relationships, and it showed on the field as we were, you know, dominating people. You said that the defensive um, area, the uh, roster was pretty thin. Did you, would you say that you kind of got sort of thrown into the scheme really early on, or did you kind of have to um, get casually sort of filtered in as the season progressed? Uh, definitely casually filtered in as the season progressed. Uh, coming off the COVID season, it was a lot of limited things we could have done so but also just having that clean slate like uh jack cooper brought in a new defense a new mindset a new way of bonding with our teammates so 
everybody was kind of uh, at a at a disadvantage, I would say, in terms of falling into the scheme and what we were trying to do. And just me being a young guy, I'm trying to just feel out the ropes of college football, being a student athlete. Um, so it, it took some time for me, for sure. Uh, but I definitely took under the wing of some older guys like Jordan Do Jones, who's uh, who's uh, participating in uh, uh, our pro day, who's a prospect for the NFL right now. Henry Yannakopoulos, another NFL prospect uh, that just left this past year. Uh, those guys really took me under their wing and just helped me fall into the system and made every day easier, you know? So then as you started to um, become more filtered into the roster and you started to really get some games under your belt, how would you say your confidence sort of grew? Because obviously you're a bit of, you're a flashy player, a guy that's been known to really want to make an impact on every possession that he's involved in. So how would you say your kind of confidence grew as you started to play more games? Uh, it definitely skyrocketed. Um, just the way I play, my communication on the field, my demeanor, you know, uh, we have this thing, uh, our word that my freshman year was uh, trust on the defense. So we broke it down on trust and just having that sense of trust when you're on the field, just knowing the guy next to you is going to go 110%, not just for himself, but for you, that that can raise an ultra level of confidence, especially for a player like me in the defensive backfield where if we mess up, the whole world will see it. Like if a defensive lineman misses a gap on a scheme, it's hard to really see that as a fan. But if you see a cornerback or safety bust the coverage, that's wide open for anybody to see. So having that confidence that I could do my job just because the guy next to me believes in me is just so much more. Have you ever had a blunder like that that you've had to learn from over the past like two years here so far? Uh, definitely, definitely. My my freshman year, we had played Maine in the rain and um, wasn't wasn't my best game, not at all. Uh, this was the first uh, touchdown caught on me in my career here. Luckily, it's it's the only touchdown caught on me in my career here, but. Uh, just that that feeling even when that feeling of adversity and like that feeling of disappointment for me my guys were quick to lift me up and tell me hey you good you not about to sit out the whole game you about to be right back in here don't worry have bad memory we got more plays to make we got a game to win so just having that mentality with the defense and the guys uh that definitely made me have a sense of feeling comfortable being back out there knowing that my guys believe in me even that no I messed up and hurt the team but uh later on that drive the next drive I went on to catch an interception and they was right there to uh lift me up uh the same way they was right there to pick me up when things were bad so that was kind of the mentality in defense we yeah. had yeah that's the, that sense of camaraderie and brotherhood is really like the backbone of a program like this like I've seen it when um I've been reporting on roadie football you can just tell from pregame to postgame just how everyone's kind of with each other lifting each other up and it's it's really commendable to see and um, for a program that hasn't really reached like the heights that it's aiming for just yet it's really just on the cusp um, to keep kind of have that camaraderie and just have that brotherhood is really nice to see and it's just really it's all those like final pieces that you need to really get um, all over that threshold to really get into the playoffs and to start really truly competing it's pieces like that that really make a program and it's really cool to see how like especially on defense and stuff like no matter if some guy makes a mistake or not 
you're always like, nah, forget about it. Like it's 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 next play, next play mentality. That's the right. that's the mentality you gotta have. Um, so here, so now I want to touch talk about this. This is a question that I've always thought about: is that when you got special teams, special teams, you got guys from every different scheme possibly even thrown in there depending on their strengths. Like you can got you could have corners on defense on um from the defense being punt returners or kick returners. For a guy that was a track star and an offensive threat in high school for football, have you ever had any of those kind of discussions of maybe having you get some reps on special teams as like a kick returner or something like that? Uh definitely it's it's been uh thrown around. Uh my freshman year, um my very first game uh, we played Villanova at Villanova in Philly. Um, it was very nerve-wracking. Uh, my first kick return ever, uh, I dropped the ball in the end zone. And that was very – there. it made me have a sense of, like, fear that, damn, maybe I'm not ready to, to carry the rock at this level. But uh, definitely as the years went on, um, my coaches has definitely – uh, built that sense of confidence in me again to know that I can definitely impact this team in more ways than just defense, but special teams. So that's definitely uh, a conversation that's gonna that's gonna happen and something that's gonna be pushed forward for the rest of my time being here. So I can I can tell you there's good things yet to come. And so as a former running back, obviously you or I had Marcus DeShields this past year. That was just the linchpin for the offense. I mean, his the the touchdowns, just the way he was able to break tackles and get through seams was absolutely incredible. So just as sort of one running back to another, when you're watching DeShields play and DeShields perform, it's just how much did he really excel in this offense this year? Just as like as like a football guy, because obviously as fans, we're like, oh my God, the touchdowns, just the reads, how he's able to bust through, like, oh, that's great. But like, there's so much more technical stuff going on. So, I mean, as a, as a guy on the field that's watching that, kind of what can he, what insight can you give me as to like how truly good he was this year? Marcus was an absolute dog for us this past season. And it's mainly for me, what I noticed, um, his patience. Because uh, a lot of, a lot of times, uh, running backs have to see things when they're not really there. So, like, they have to see holes when they don't really present themselves. Um, and he just, he the way he used to set up his blocks with our old linemen uh, is just, like, a one-of-a-kind. You just, you know it when you see it as a ball carrier. Uh, his patience was really, like, next level to the point where runs where you thought there was nothing there, he'll make something of it, like, plays that should have been tackles for loss, loss of two, uh, he'll turn it into gains of four or gains of six, or he might just break one for about 30. Um, and not to mention, he was an athletic specimen on the field. Uh, when we used to do our like our vertical jumps testing, he would come in like 38, 39, um, and it showed on the field because if you went too low on him, he will hurdle you. <laughs> uh, like during our spring practice last year, uh, he had a highlight clip that made uh, ESPN top ten one. Um, oh, I remember that. Yeah. yeah, he he. Then they tracked how high he had got. I think it was like thirty five, thirty five, thirty six inches off the ground. And mind you, he has eight pounds of equipment on him. So like to do that while running the ball and to keep running after that. 
that's something you can't even coach. So uh, his athletic ability through the roof, his mentality when he ran the ball, it was just, it was a different type of tenacity. He ran hard. There was no like sense of giving up, no sense of holding back when he ran the ball. So that's something you also can't coach. And seeing as a as a ball carrier, the ball carrier, that was that's what really jumped out to me. And I knew like, yeah, this guy's a real deal. <laughs> so he was a member of that pretty expansive senior class this year. I think he had eighteen guys graduate from the team this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's one of the guys that declared for the NFL draft. Yes, sir. Um, of all of those guys that graduated this year, there were a bunch of guys on the defensive line. I know um, Buzz Robinson was one of the uh, defensive side of the ball, rather. Buzz Robinson was one of the guys, uh, one of the DBs that graduated as well. Who would you say were kind of like, not, not role models in a sense, but guys that sort of help kind of mold you and kind of guide you as you first got here? Like, do you, have a, do you have a couple guys that like consistently were like, there with you kind of with had your back type deal for sure um so this past year uh in the fall last year um i lived with uh cornerback jordan jones uh and he's coming off a all-american season uh the top one of the top dbs in the conference and just living with him and getting insight on what he does off the field to make sure he's successful off the field on the field was really high caliber for me just seeing how he watches film and uh takes care of his body knows what he's eating make sure he gets a proper amount of rest uh he takes because he's another guy who has a 41 42 inch vertical and every time he jumps it's it's straining because he had this uh thing called jumper's knee so he would be stretching in our living room in our dorm uh and i always used to question it at first but uh he's a guy who's played countless amount of reps countless amount of snaps so he knows the importance of taking care of your body uh especially if you want to go to the next level um but not just guys like him guys like uh henry yonikopoulos and malik gavick who's actually a cranston native native i've been i've been friends with gav since we were about like 14 15 years old um those guys really stayed up on me to make sure that the only way to be successful on the field is to make sure like your mental is in a good place, not just your mental being in a good place, but making sure you're handling all the aspects off the field that can make you successful on the field. So that that's anything from school, study hall, treatment, uh, nutrition, just making sure they checked those boxes for me. So playing on the field was the easy part for me. Uh, just going and being under those guys' wings, uh, they really motivated me to be a better version of myself that I didn't see uh, when I first entered this program. So definitely those guys. Uh, Buzz, for sure, another one. Uh, we used to play the game a lot. And uh, just us being on the game and not forgetting to be a person, like have fun with this because uh, they say college is supposed to be the best time of your life. So don't feel like you have to be a robot or uh, it's it's football, football, football. Like you gotta remember to take care of yourself and to have fun, cause that's the only way you're gonna wake up the next day and love what you do. You know, so definitely those guys uh, really made the game so much easier for me and just made me feel so much better about the person I was becoming and still uh, working to become. That must be really big for you, especially being an athlete, knowing the 
pressure of not only the sport, but then you've got the academics to go with it as well. Kind of being able to juggle both of those things together to have someone like that must have been absolutely huge for you transitioning into college because those guys have been there. They've been there. They know they know the deal about having having to deal with school, having to deal with class, and then also (laughs) being able to go to go to lift being able to go to late practices, practices in the rain, practices in the snow. Yeah. So, I mean, that was that must have been huge to kind of have that to help you just sort of navigate how to do college, basically. For sure, for sure. And so then, so uh, a number of those guys you mentioned are NFL draft prospects. Have you been kind of talking to them as they've been kind of going through the process? Yeah, me and uh, me and Jay Jones catch up every now and then. And uh, I was actually on the phone with Henry Anacopoulos not too long ago. Uh, I put them on to this trick. Uh, when you get new cleats, uh, I've been doing it since I was a kid. You pop them in the microwave for about a minute, two minutes. And, you know, when you get new cleats, they're very stiff and you have to break them in. But when you put them in the microwave for a little bit and then you put them on your feet and just walk around your house, they mold to your feet. So and everybody has different feet shapes and sizes. So if you can have a cleat mold to your feet that's a different type of comfortability especially being a defensive back we got to go backwards and feel comfortable at all times unless we're not gonna look the best or play at our best you know so we was just on the phone uh he was asking me about that trick and he had seen me do it in the locker room one time and questioned like what i was doing but uh and we caught up uh he's actually in pennsylvania right now training with jordan jones and I was just asking him about the prospect life, you know, leading up to the pro day, talking to scouts every day, uh, booking NFL workouts uh, for later in the spring. And this like just that type of insight motivated me even more. Just knowing where I want to go with this with this football dream. And uh, those guys always never fail to to motivate me and push me to a perspective that I never really thought about. That cleat trick that you just mentioned, yeah, that's crazy. Yes. I mean, I've been I've been playing soccer for most of my life, so it's like I I definitely understand where you want to have cleats that like fit your feet properly. I have never heard of someone yeah. tossing their cleats in the microwave to be like, you know what? Let me let me mold these. Let me let me do some little vinyl shape in here. That's crazy. Yeah, but that's really that's really cool that you're able to kind of give your own insight to someone going through that process because I mean they've given you so much. And then just to give them something so trivial like that, I mean, it means a lot. For sure. It's it's something that kind of, uh, it's well, not like it's a little bit of a thank you. Like it's like you gave me so much. Just the least I can do, give you a little trick to help you out, help a boy out. You For know what sure. I mean? But um, yeah. no, nah, but that's that's really cool though. Um, so now in the wake of all of those guys leaving the six guys or seven guys that declared for the draft and the 18 seniors that left, a lot of change has been going on on the roster and on the coaching side for Rhode Island. You got a lot of guys that came in on national signing day. I think there were, I don't know, maybe seven or between seven and like 11 guys. And, um, then two new coaches came in, a defensive line coach and a wide receivers coach. And, but then a number of guys left in the transfer portal. Yeah. Um, so how was like obviously the biggest uh, biggest name actually living in the transfer portal was AJ Cornelius going to Oregon, which is just something that I don't think a lot of people would have thought before the season seeing a guy jump from kind of not middle like just on the cusp of F- FCS playoffs to now a top fifteen FBS program in the country. Yeah. I mean, kind of what was uh, j- maybe not just AJ in particular, but just as guys were kind of making decisions on whether or not to enter the portal or not, what was kind of 
the discussions like behind the scenes is like you were kind of there like you're you're still a sophomore Rhode Island native you you're kind of set that all right I think I'm gonna I'm pretty comfortable where I'm at right now but all these other guys a lot of your friends probably were thinking all right I might jump ship what was kind of those conversations like uh those conversations were were definitely genuine uh definitely had some heart to heart with a few of my guys before they uh made their final decision uh, for a lot of them, it was it was unique to their situation and circumstance, but uh, I can honestly say for all of them, they felt like uh, they had a better opportunity uh, to for to chase what they were trying to chase or accomplish what they were trying to accomplish uh, at another program. And me being a brother on and off the field, I could I could do nothing but support that. You know, uh, whatever decision they made, they had my full support and. Those conversations, for the most part, were definitely genuine um, and supportive. You know, just seeing how those guys, because the transfer portal can be a tricky place. You know, uh, a lot of people get in there and don't find a home and don't find a place to continue their athletic uh, participation. And it's, and it's crazy to see that. So just knowing that my guys are uh, in a in the right hands or in hands at all. Uh, that's that's something to you know, definitely give kudos to and pat them on the back no matter where they go. So uh, I'm definitely happy for those guys. I wish nothing but success. You know, uh, just because they're at a different school doesn't change our relationship. You know, we're still gonna hit each other up uh, probably in the summer or during the season. Check on each other. We're definitely gonna watch each other on Saturdays. Uh, meaning if we're not playing at the same time but we're, we're definitely still going to support each other uh in every way shape or form i know we can uh those relationships are going to last a lifetime because the stuff we've been through uh just in the three years that i've been here has been something that you can't even put into words uh those relationships and bonds uh we've been through some battles together and that's something i'll never forget so those will always be my guys no matter where they go how far they go or what they end up doing. That's really nice. So um, in, in in the midst of all of that, in the midst of kind of the roster turnover and everything, we're now into the spring ball practices. <clears throat> uh, spring scrimmages are going to be starting probably a, a after spring break. Yep. So kind of what's the feeling like on the field now? I mean, now you got some guys that are new guys coming in. you got some new coaches trying to learn the schemes, learn uh, try and put their systems onto the roster. Uh, so kind of what's the what would you say is the state of roadie football right now? What is kind of the outlook for the fall? Uh, we're just putting one foot in front of the other. Uh, I know for the defensive side, especially, uh, we always have a word that we break down on and use to influence our mentality going into whatever segment of the football season that we're in. And our word right now is stack days. And I can honestly say that that is something we all have bought into, especially this offseason, uh, just stacking days, you know, putting one day in front of the other, trying to become 1% better. But I can honestly say I can see our team molding into the team that we want to be, you know, because a lot of young guys are becoming old guys and having to step into roles that uh, they're, they've never been in before, but seeing how the ones that came before them, how they uh, – how they led and how they motivated and how they inspired. Uh, I can definitely see us molding into our way of inspiration and motivation for 
the young guys on our team or the people just coming in and a lot of players on our team starting to come out our show and just know how to function within each other you know because we're not last year's team you know we don't have last year's guys so um it's a curse and a blessing you know uh i miss those guys truly but um we gotta focus on what we have and uh build on what we got and that's the mentality we got right now just to keep building keep stacking days for those that follow roadie football, this is probably a bit of an obvious question, considering how the season ended. But do you think going into the 2023 fall season that the Rams are going to have a chip on their shoulder heading oh, in? Definitely. Um, we we always we always kind of have that mentality going into our season, uh, just knowing we have everything to prove, um, knowing that uh, people people don't respect us. You know, the past few seasons. Uh, they think that uh, we got lucky. We edged out with seven wins and a whole bunch of controversy. Well, they shouldn't have been in there anyway. Uh, they missed the playoffs. Maybe it was the best for them. But uh, just, you know, leaders on our team, like our captain, Sebastian, uh, on the offensive line, he was like, I remember one of our first offseason meetings coming in. He was like, well, they don't respect us. And we got seven wins. We should have been in. Well, forget it. Next, we got to go get eight. We know what we must do because we got seven wins the past two seasons and we slightly missed the playoffs. So uh, clearly the standard that we had wasn't enough. So it's just time to raise the bar, raise the expectation uh, and go get eight. You know, go be better than we've been the last two seasons. And everybody's really bought into that mindset in this offseason. So that's what we're just trying to go do. You know, go prove everybody, prove ourselves right. Not even prove everybody wrong. Because we know what we're capable of, so that's the mindset we're going into with this fall season. So, and every player has their own personal aspirations outside of team success. Like, it's it's human nature. And I remember talking to uh, Marcus DeShields at the end of last season, and um, he, because he was, I think he had tied the school record for touchdowns, like a single season record for touchdowns, mm -hmm. and it was, we were asking him, it's like, Marcus, obviously, you want to make the playoffs, but like, you're, you're gunning for that record. Like, that's you want that. And he's like, yeah, absolutely. So my question to you is kind of this. Do you have any sort of, like, individual aspirations for the season? Like, do you have, like, when you go into, actually, rephrase, when you go into seasons, new season every year, do you have, like, certain goal numbers that you like to hit in terms of, like, tackles, interceptions, touchdowns allowed, stuff like that? Uh, for me personally, I'm not too big of a, of a numbers guy. Um... I'm more of, I like to be more about the process because that's how I've been coached my entire life. Just knowing that if you put in the work, you put yourself in position to win, you compete, everything's going to take care of itself. Like uh, one thing my high school coach taught me, uh, Peter Quayway, he was like, don't worry about catching interceptions because if you do everything that you need to do to put yourself in that moment, you're going to catch that interception. Like... Uh, as a DB, knowing hearing that can be a little like triggering. Like, what do you mean? Don't try to get picks. Like, that's what we that's what we get paid for. But um, I can honestly say, like, throughout my career, uh, it's a mentality for me that has worked. You know, I don't I don't play to get interceptions. I play to be in the best possible position to compete. And if that puts me in a position to catch an interception best believe I'm not going to drop it because I did everything leading up to that so there's no there's no room for error at that point in time so like 
when it ter- in terms of like goals, um, I try to be more process driven. Just um, am I am I faster than I was in the spring? Am I stronger than I was in the spring? Um, do I look smoother in my technique? Is my hand speed when I press uh, lacking? You know, so those things. If I know I'm improving on those things, I know it's gonna show in the field. Like my my tackles will be a result of me getting stronger or my interception uh, numbers from last season to this season is going to show that's the result of my coverage getting better, you know? So I'm not really too big on goals, more of I'll see did I get better in aspects. And I know once I get better in aspects, that's going to translate to accolades and achievements. Well, that's really commendable. And I'm sure roadie fans are going to be exceptionally excited to see how this program kind of goes, especially considering that the team has remained very young with the experienced leadership of like guys like Kasim Hill, because Kasim's coming back for his seventh collegiate season, which is <laughs> which is honestly crazy. I mean, I know I know Kasim, and it's I when I saw the news the other day that the NCAA granted his um, eligibility, I was like, wow, he's really he's really coming back. I would have thought that he would have kind of pushed his luck and been like, you know what, let's let's try for the draft. But I mean, now he comes back for a seventh college year. I think it would be what, his fourth or fifth year, or uh, fourth, 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 fourth year. Fourth year. Um, he's going to be going, going down for a lot of those records, just the record book for Rhode Island. I mean, whether, whether he, like, like you talk, kind of touched upon where like, you don't really focus on that, whether he focuses on it or not one way or another, just considering how his game goes, he's going to be touching those eventually. And I feel like that his success on the field is going to be, um, one of the key, uh, benefactors in Rhode Island's success as time goes on. And I think a lot of roadie fans, uh, including myself are going to be very eager to see how this team does in the fall. So now transitioning over from one football team to another, the Super Bowl was just passed. The yes, chiefs sir. are Super Bowl champions, Patrick Mahomes on a busted ankle, um, bested Jalen hurts in, it was one of the more offensively pleasing Super Bowls that I've watched. Definitely. And it, it was, it was great. I mean, Jalen hurts, Jalen Hurts fully deserved to win Super Bowl MVP, but I mean, usually, I feel like that when you get a Super Bowl MVP decision, it's almost a shoo-in for the quarterback of the winning team. I feel like most of the time, unless you've got like a wide receiver that had four touchdowns for 300 yards and something like that, <laughs> you don't, it's mainly going to be either who's the winning quarterback and how did he do, like if he, if he didn't do anything, eh, but like more than likely it's going to be him. But there were a lot of calls that went on during that Super Bowl. And I know you as a DB, you when you were watching this game, you were thinking, I right, wait a minute, those that's a little it's a little testy. But I mean, before we get into that, kind of take me through what was your take on the Super Bowl? How did you think that the game went? Do you think that the um Eagles kind of sold it at the end? And just as a football player, how did you kind of interpret the decisions that were being made? Um, I definitely think the Eagles were were had the right mindset you know going into the game you know they were aggressive early on going for fourth downs uh knowing that in short yardage situations uh they believe their mentality and their heart and drive over any other team and it showed uh early on in the game uh because it's unheard of to do a qb sneak seven times in a game like there's there's not even situations where you would think that would even work. 
But uh, when you QB sneak from the three-yard line and score a touchdown, that's that's you believe in your system. You believe in what you're trying to do. But um, on the other side, like Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Isaiah Pacheco, that whole entire offense, they just they have a way of just complementing each other so much and it's and it's hard to stop once they're all clicking and once they're all on all cylinders you know there was no because i was rooting for the chiefs and there was no time in the game even when we were down 10 at half that i was worried you know just knowing how patrick mahomes and travis kelsey and pacheco can turn it up at any given moment so just me being a football fan and me playing football i know uh how it can be when it when those guys turn it on and how dangerous that can turn into you know so watching that game uh i wasn't i wasn't surprised with the turnout i know these were both two offensive powerhouses uh their defense definitely helped them get to this moment but when you have uh in all world offense on both sides of the ball there's no there's there's no stopping that like it's they both had too many weapons uh too many schemes that just it's hard to stop a guy who can run the football and throw the football and both teams had that type of quarterback and it showed in the whole Super Bowl you know so it was it was crazy to watch definitely a game I enjoyed uh being a defensive player uh it was it was hard to watch because it was a lot of plays where you just it's triggering seeing like offenses score just being as a defensive back and there were a lot of passing uh accomplishments like third and 14s fourth downs bombs on both sides of the ball it's it was it was crazy to watch but definitely a game i enjoyed it's almost as if you just can't bet against Patrick Mahomes unless you amputate his leg or something like that. <laughs> like, it's it's funny because the, the notion goes, especially up here in New England, is that you would never bet against Tom Brady, no matter what. Yeah. If Tom Brady's in the Super Bowl, you yeah. just don't bet against him, and don't then you it. just see if he loses. But Patrick Mahomes is slowly starting to kind of get into that mold. Because, I mean, that high ankle sprain was bad. Like, I've, I've sprained my ankle before, and it is excruciating and that wasn't nearly as bad as what he had to go through exactly like i remember watching him he had that i don't don't know it was like a 14 or 20 yard run in the third quarter on that ankle i was my jaw hit the floor i was like if i tried doing that i would have fallen over after two yards so you just simply don't bet against patrick mahomes anymore i think that's kind of what the nfl is beginning to realize yeah but um at the same time i thought it was a fantastic super bowl i agree I um I I thought I I was kind of going back and forth when I was thinking about like who I thought was gonna win. I was pretty indifferent to it. I'm not re- I'm not an Eagles fan or a Chiefs fan by any <laughs> means, so I was pretty indifferent to what I was um to who I wanted to win. But at the at the end of the day, I was thinking, you know, before the game, I thought this was gonna be the Chiefs. I thought they were gonna pull this out. Um, but I mean, you got to feel bad for Jalen Hurts. I mean, he left everything out there. Like that Definitely. was an all time offensive display from a Super Bowl quarterback. It was incredible, crazy. But um. One of the things I wanted to touch upon, just you as a defensive back, was the holding penalties and that were that had gone on, both the no calls and then the call at the end with James Bradbury on that final on that final drive for um, Kansas City. Because I don't know if you remember when they first showed the replay, they had one angle. It was from basically like the Chiefs 
quarterback point of view. And you could see what they had circled was basically nothing. Yeah. When they had circled it, it was like like a like a grasp at the jersey. And the whole of America was befuddled. They were like, oh my God, how is that? How is that what they called? But then I don't know if you had seen the next replay when they showed it, I believe from the Eagles sideline, mm-hmm. you can see James Bradbury fully yank on his jersey before that circled hold. Mm-hmm. There was a there was a hold prior, and that's what I think they saw. Mm-hmm. But I feel like a lot of people when they were at first talking about it like everyone hopped on Twitter and they're like oh this is egregious this is absolutely insane this is rough ball like this is what this is of course this is how the Super Bowl ends something like that but then when you look at that I mean as someone as the two of us were like more in tune with football Mm -hmm. football is kind of what encompasses a lot a good portion of our lives you notice that and you're like all right well that's a hold like you could see his jersey fully off of him and that, that's just a hold. That's what it is. And then James Bradbury even said at the end, he's like, that was a hold. Like, I don't really know what else to tell you guys. That was a hold, and I thought they were going to miss it. So, I mean, when you saw that in real time, mm-hmm. what was kind of your initial reaction? And then when you saw the replay, did that sort of change? Uh, in real time, my initial reaction was great coverage. He He's right there. He 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 did what he needed to do on because uh, the way – there's no – like blueprint or crystal ball to how to play a receiver when he does a double move. Uh, he tries to fake you one way and go another way. But um, you you want, in a sense, in a perfect world, you want to disrupt that second move so you don't bite too much on the first one so that you can be there for the second one. And James Bradbury kind of bit a little too much on that first one and put himself in a position where he felt like he needed to hold. Even in real time, I thought it was good coverage. Uh, DBs, we, we tend to get a little slick in our coverage and know what we can get away with. He definitely pulled a move that he could he did get away with, but uh, exceptional job by Juju how he um, kind of played, played the game within the game in terms of, like, in the NBA, we see it all the time. Uh, fouls that are not really fouls, but, you know, offensive player no, has a way of drawing them or uh, having a certain body torque or way of getting the ref to blow the whistle. And that's what I felt Juju did um, in order to get the flag. So it's it was definitely uh, a thought like, oh, they missed they miss that call or, oh, there was nothing to call there. But when you actually went to the replay and saw, like, Oh, we did miss a hold. Cause what they called that flag on initially, uh, that hand being on that hip, that wasn't a hold, not at all. Like it was clear as day. But how Juju reacted to that hand being on the hip is what made them throw the flag. And then when they went back to the replay and saw that he actually tugged on the jersey beforehand, it's like, well, we're not wrong, you know. Uh, but they did honestly. I felt like they did miss that call because. I don't feel like that was the reason why they threw that flag. I agree with you. I mean, you could even tell from, like, the announcers, because then when you had the rules official kind of breaking down what was going on, mm-hmm. he was circling the hand on the hip. Like, that was what he was breaking down for the audience in America. And I was like, that's not the hold. That's Like, you <laughs> could, you, that's simply not the hold. Like, that's, like, how are you supposed to play football if you can't get a hand on somebody to begin with? Exactly. So it's out, like, that was a bit weird to me. But then when you see the second angle, you can tell that, all right, nah, he grabbed the jersey. Like, that was a hold. 
they maybe didn't see that at first, but obviously when you go to replay it, like you look and it's like, all right, no, yeah. that, that was a anything whole... you can prove uh, on that replay, it's it's golden. Yeah, and they might have missed it in real time, but uh, when they went back and saw that, it's like, well, he did hold them before anyway, so we're not wrong, you know. It was all one sequence. It's still part of the same play. We threw a flag because we saw one thing, but we found another. All right, the flag still stands. Yeah. Um. But then, obviously, just ending the Super Bowl on a field goal is not fun. I feel like it doesn't do the game justice. I mean, as a guy who wanted to be a kicker, a football, like a kicker for college and stuff, like I, I try, tried to train a little bit for that. Like, I can understand, like, that's, yeah, I give the kicker his moment. That's cool. Harrison Bucker's an all-time kicker. He's a fantastic <laughs> player. But it's almost become too common in big games for these to be, um, finishing out like this, and it mm. seems almost anticlimactic. Like I, I said it before the game. We did staff picks for um the news uh, network that I work with here at URI Anchor Sports, and I said it's going to end with a Harrison Bucker field goal. Like it's just going to. Like every big game, it seems that the fans are deprived of like that Stefan Diggs Minneapolis miracle esque moment. Mm-hmm. So you're now just stuck with all right. Well, settle for a field goal, and then Jalen Hurts is going to have to try his best to launch a 65-yard Hail Mary, which, I don't know about you, I was shocked he didn't get that to the end zone. I mean, he was probably completely exhausted, so you got to feel for him, but I mean, like, that was short. And I was like, oh, boy. Like, I was like, wow, that that had no chance. But I mean, mean, for what it's worth, outside of the ending, uh, which had controversy in the eyes of some people, I thought that it was a fantastic Super Bowl. I thought that it was really... Like, it kind of, it was hyped up to begin with, and I feel like it pretty much delivered Mm -hmm. on that, just given how Mahomes played through injury, and then Hurts, he was just able to ball out. And it was just, it was just incredible. And I mean, I feel like that next year we're going to see a lot, we're going to see a lot more um, people being like, oh, the Chiefs are going to go again. They probably will. They probably will. And it's just, that's just a testament to how good of a coach Andy Reid is and just how good of an offense they have. Yeah. It's just incredible. But... That's about all the time we have today. Fred, thank you for coming in and sharing some stories with us in the studio. Appreciate you, man. Pleasure's all mine. All right, thank you. And next week, we'll be having a brand new guest. We should be back at 10 a.m. on Friday, but uh, keep posted on the Instagram at Marks and Marks Pod to um, see any sort of updates. And we will see you next week. Thanks, Rody.